I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. I've titled this message, The Lord of the Table. That's actually the first point. I want to point out three things to you in this brief passage on the the Last Supper, the Passover, the last one that he shared with his disciples. Actually, it was the last Passover that had divine uh, approval in this world. After 1,400 years, uh, about 1,400 years, that Passover had been celebrated and Christ was going to celebrate at the time of his Passion The very last one should have been the last one because he he changed it and appointed a new supper for the saints, including Gentiles as well as Jews, to the end of the world. And that's the supper that is spread before you. It is the table of the Lord. So I want to talk to you from the scriptures this morning and from this text about the Lord of the table and the fellowship of the table and the glory of the table, the glory of the table to come. We'll be looking at a few passages in the Old Testament that demonstrate that he is the Lord of the table and that he has planned this as sovereign ruler of everything. So I'm always excited When I come to share with the saints, either as a worshiper or uh, as one serving to the Lord's table. Because his presence is very special at this time. He promised it would be and it always has been to the faithful. So if you're a Christian this morning, you want to be examining yourself as we look at God's word. If you're not a Christian, we want to discourage you from receiving the elements, but to wait, to pray, to ask the Lord to forgive you, and next time participate. For it is a sharing in the body and blood of Christ. And there are special warnings against those who do not believe in Christ, not to come. It is for those who have faith in Christ, not in themselves. I want to begin reading at the 10th verse of Mark chapter, or excuse me, at the 12th verse of Mark chapter 14. And before we read, let's seek his help. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is your word. And your Holy Spirit has been sent by the Father and the Son to apply what Christ achieved on the cross and to help us understand it and to apply this word to our lives forever. And we thank you for your precious spirit and the ministry of your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the word of God. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, 
Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word. May he add its blessing to our hearts, his blessing to our hearts. If the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the most central thing in your life, then you're missing the meaning of life. Because the person and work of Christ controls history, controls all traditions of men, those who are faithful or unfaithful, it controls all customs, it controls world history. In fact, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the present um, session of Christ interceding for the saints at the right hand of the Father is controlling everything that happens. There is not anything random in this world. Never has been, never will be. This passage, as well as others in the Gospels and all of Scripture, testifies to the reality that all of Scripture and all of history is about Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if the vast majority of the nations and people are distracted and continually entertained by other things. Their lives are controlled by the Scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, and by the death, and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that's why it must be important to us and why we must focus 
our lives. As the sands of time fall through the hourglass of our life and the time that we have remaining in this world, we need to be about the Father's business. Jesus knew that early on at the age of 12. That's why he was in the temple. But a new and ominous factor in political and religious life has appeared in our time and it seems that the time of toleration and freedom for the true church of our Lord Jesus Christ in America is giving way all over the Western world, in fact. And while the ultimate issue for most men is whether a human being or the Lord Jesus Christ is ruler over all things, to the church. It's not for us. We've settled that. And so my first point this morning in our scripture is that it shows us that Jesus Christ is Lord of the table. He is sovereign ruler over the saints, over the church, over all things in creation. When the disciples came to him, they asked him, where would you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of them. And we're told in another gospel that it was Peter and John. The reason he sent two is because uh, the, they had each family had to take a lamb or buy a lamb and uh, slaughter it. Josephus tells us that one Passover, and Josephus was a Jewish historian who lived at the time of Christ, he tells us that at one Passover there were two and a half million people in Jerusalem at that time. And about a quarter of a million lambs had to be slain. And we know from history that they had to be slain, we know from the scriptures as well, they had to be slaughtered between the hours of three and five in the afternoon. That's a lot of uh, sacrificing. The only way it could have been accomplished is that we understand from sources that the Sadducees, who were the religious leaders and responsible for the celebration of the Passover in the temple at that time in Jerusalem, along with the other Judeans, celebrated began the celebration of Passover on Friday, but Jesus was from Galilee along with his other disciples and they began to, they would observe the beginning of Passover on Thursday because for the Galileans, their reckoning of time was from uh, sun up to sundown, from morning to morning. They had to eat the Passover in the evening. And for the Judeans, it was from sunset to sunset. And so, all through this long history, over 1,400 years of celebrating the Passover, God in His sovereign majesty and perfect timing of everything brought it to pass that Jesus could celebrate the Passover with his own disciples Thursday evening and then on Friday be slain on the cross for the sins of his people while the rest of the 
sacrifices, the lambs were being slain in the temple. It was a huge amount of work. But it demonstrates that Jesus is Lord, bringing all these things to pass through all the centuries, through the millennia. The Apostle Paul says that Christ is our Passover. And so he had to be crucified in the afternoon on Friday, but was able to celebrate this Passover with his own disciples. It says in the 13th verse that he sent two of his disciples and they were to go into the city and they would find a man carrying a jar of water. That again indicates his lordship because uh, men usually didn't carry the water in jars, women did, and so out of a what, two million at least in the city, uh, they would see a man carrying a jar of water and he would lead them into a room. And they were to give this message. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he said, he'll show you that room. And they found that room just as he told them. And there they prepared the Passover. Our Lord's sovereignty over everything uh, is uh, in all of the scriptures. If you will, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where the sin of Adam and Eve has been committed. They have fallen broken the covenant of works, and now the curse of that covenant that they have broken is on them. But in the 15th verse, the Lord announces the covenant of grace, where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that first mention of the gospel the Lord promises that he, would, he will provide a substitute. There has to be a sacrifice for sin. Adam and Eve's sin showed that. And then Cain and Abel demonstrated uh, in, in what happened there that there had to be a particular kind of sacrifice. And then when we come to Abraham, we see there that uh, God himself provides that sacrifice. It's a substitute. Now, if you will, turn with me to the book of Psalms. And while you're... Turning to uh, the Psalms, I'll just mention to you that um, the Lord is always providing a table. He's always Lord over everything. He can provide food and drink for you. Jesus has said, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to be put on. Just I want you to be focused about my kingdom and my righteousness. And so when Elijah is fleeing from Jezebel, he's... Uh, or when he, he's fleeing, leaving the presence of King Ahab, God sends him to the brook Kareth and he says, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. You'll drink from the brook and the ravens will feed you. And then a little later on, he, he said, uh, I've commanded a widow to feed you and the jar of oil and uh, flour uh, will not be empty until I send rain again. God, we don't have to worry about God feeding us, do we? In Psalm 78, 
That's an amazing psalm. But it, uh, in verses 17 and following, the people sinned against God. Even when they de- were delivered out of Egypt, they were complaining because they craved food and particular kinds of food. And I think one of the reasons why they were never satisfied with the bread of angels, as it's mentioned there in verse 25, and the grain of heaven in verse 24, is because they weren't satisfied with God. They never found satisfaction in the God who was their Savior. They tested God in their heart, verse 18, by demanding the food they craved. And they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He had done so much to deliver them. He had provided for them. He had split the rocks open and the water gushed out. And so they're still saying, can you give me whatever my favorite food is? The leeks and the onions and the melons and the cucumbers that we had, that we ate freely in Egypt when we were slaves. Their logic was just crazy all over the place. But God in his compassion gave them bread. Not and it was the same bread every single day. Why? So they would learn to be satisfied in Him. So they would feed on Him from whom they receive their strength and sustenance and vitality. And then turn back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can the Lord prepare a table in the wilderness? Not only can he prepare a table in the wilderness, he can prepare a table for you and supply all of your needs in the midst of your enemies, which he does continually. Because you're surrounded with enemies. And they're just going to multiply. And he will continue to prove himself faithful. So you have these Psalms, Psalm 23 and Psalm 78 and so Many scriptures that remind us, as we look back in Mark 14, that the Lord is the Lord of the table. And there in verses 17 and following, we see that they were surrounded. And this table of the Lord, there was an enemy in the room. And the Lord intended to get rid of him soon. But he said, one of you will betray me. I think at this point... All the disciples were wondering because they had been arguing about who was the greatest, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who would be the greatest in the church. And uh, and Jesus had washed their feet. And then he said, one of you will betray me. And so they were pretty much subdued, I think, at this point. Yesterday, I was reminded I was um, I've been on vacation this past week, and yesterday afternoon I was looking um, at some documentaries on Adolf Hitler and the dawn of Nazism. It's, uh, and I've been reading the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Christian pastor and martyr, um, how a nation. Tens of millions in Germany could just completely turn their back on the church, the Reformation, Christ, and look to a man to be their savior. They really believed that Hitler would be their savior. Who could only succeed in leading many of them to hell. 
because they weren't satisfied with Christ. Jesus is Lord of the table. And secondly, it is the fellowship of the table that this passage speaks about. This Passover is rehearsing the events of their deliverance from Egypt. How God, after, at the end of the time of suffering, 430 years, and he brought those ten plagues, and the last of them was the, the angel of death, the angel of vengeance, the angel of judgment would would come over the land, over the houses of the Jews as well as the houses of the Egyptians, and they had to keep a lamb, slay him on the tenth day, keep him with them for four days, and then they were to slaughter him and spread his blood over the lintel and the doorposts, and eat a meal of unleavened bread, they didn't have time to wait for it, with their sandals on and their staffs in their hands, ready to go. But they were to eat this Passover. And the blood, of course, was so that the angel of God would not come in and slay the firstborn in their house. There wasn't a house in Egypt where the firstborn wasn't killed. But the Jews were delivered through faith in the blood of the Lamb, just as we are. That's why it's so significant that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he pointed to Christ. He is God's Lamb. Jesus is our Passover. So God instituted the Passover then and he commanded them to Continue to celebrate. And now we've come to the last one Jesus has with his disciples. It is, it is a covenant fellowship. The covenant that God has always put in place that determine how his people were to relate to him. That we don't just decide how we're going to relate to God on our own. He has determined that and he has bound himself to us. Through covenant. And, and the table that we're about to share in speaks of fellowship. It, it speaks of what Christ did on the cross. He, he is eating with his disciples this substantial meal with four cups of diluted wine. And, and they've already had uh, a couple of them. And while they're eating, he takes bread and he breaks it and he... He says, and he, he changes the pattern of the Passover in three ways. First of all, he says, this bread is my body. He wasn't saying this bread becomes my body or is somehow going to be magically uh, transformed or I'm, you know, my flesh is going to accompany. He's just saying this represents my body. It's for you. And then... The second change was in giving them the cup. That was the, the third cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Paul says it's not the cup that we bless, the cup of blessing that we bless, the blood of Christ. is not the 
bread that we break, the body of Christ. It is for a sharing in Christ. When we come to the table of the Lord, it is for fellowship. He's always desired to have fellowship with his people. We are united to him through faith in his son, through faith in Christ. And so we come to the table for fellowship with each other. That's why a a virtual church will never fit in God's plan. We don't worship God uh, separately except in our when we're not called to assemble ourselves together. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ is a flesh and blood body. It's not the building, it is the people of God. G- God didn't send uh, some angel to save us. He didn't just have some other program. He sent a flesh and blood Savior. God the Son took human flesh and He gave up that flesh to be crucified for our sins. And so we commune with him. We commune with him in the supper. When you receive the cup, when you receive the bread, it is a sharing in the body and blood of Christ. It is a very earthy thing. And we'll be uh, wondering about it forever. It's a ratification meal. And so it's, it's been given for us to participate in the blessings of the death of God's Lamb, to share in the benefits of the Lamb's death. It's what God has always desired with his people, and he's here in a very present way. And then thirdly, there is the glory of the table. And we find that in just one verse. In verse 25, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is that he didn't drink of that fourth cup because then it would have been all over. But it's not all over yet. Jesus' redemption was accomplished on the cross. His sacrifice was finished. But now it is being applied. And now we're, we're going on a journey. Are we not? Are we not pilgrims? We're not here to stay. We're not here to live the good life. We're not here to just see how comfortable we can be, but we're here to serve. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And so he sent us here on a journey to make disciples, to tell people that the only hope they have of everlasting life in God's favor and presence is through union with Christ. And so it's a journey we're on, and we're to stop once in a while and and nourish ourselves. And that's what the Lord's table is for, is to be nourished, to take a little bit of nourishment and then go on. Because the promise is the Lord of the table will continue that fellowship at the wedding supper of the Lamb. John tells us that in Revelation. So we have a lot to look forward to. It is going to continue. But it won't be everybody. Christianity uh, is not a a universal religion that will bring every human being who's ever lived into the kingdom of God. God himself determines as the Lord of creation, the Lord of the church, that it's a covenant relationship he chooses. And the fact that he's chosen us, we believe, should elicit the response 
of thanksgiving. That's the overwhelming response, is it not? The word Eucharist uh, that some uh, denominations use. We don't use it in the Presbyterian Reformed Church. Um, Eucharist is simply the word for thanks. Jesus gave thanks. And then he gave it to them. And so we come before him to give thanks for his blessing. Because, as the hymn says, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. And so every time we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this table, that Jesus is Lord of the table, and that the fellowship is with him and with one another in Christ, and that we have a tremendous future to look forward to in fellowship and worship and service in the new heavens and the new earth. So bless us now as we share in the body and blood of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.